You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. So as we continue with the same story uh, as us as adults, I wanted to share this particular story, and I'm kind of calling it today the Heroes and Villains Choice. The Heroes and Villains Choice. Uh, Now, when I think of this in particular, uh, what I think of is the choice that is often given to us. You know, you remember back when we used to go to Disney World. Uh, Now, if you're following or tuning in from kind of somewhere else around the world or the country, uh, we live in the back door of the backyard of Disney, and so we have the the opportunity to go often. And the parking lot offers this choice. Will you park in the hero's lot or will you park in the villain's lot? And usually this choice is made for us. We don't have a decision in it. It's based off of park capacity and whatnot. And we are either Peter Pan and Rapunzel and Aladdin or Woody or Mulan or Simba, or we are Cruella and Ursula and Jafar and Hook and Zerg and Scar. And of course, we're reminded to write it down because there are over 11,000 parking spots and we will never find our car and we'll be stuck in there forever, right? Um, so we're told to, to do this, and I think there's many things in life where we feel like we're offered this, this binary choice between one or the other. We're either the hero or the villain. We're A or we're B. We're, we're left or we're right. And these choices are given to us, and we're cast on one side or the other. Now, I think it's fun at, at Halloween and other times to play dress up and to dress up as as heroes and as villains and to just really kind of live into all those different perspectives. But as we begin to think about the story of our life, my hunch is that our desire is that we live as heroes, right? Not as the villains of our own story or of the story of narrative of our life, right? Whether we're aware of it or not, we're, we're consistently making choices in our life that will push us to be the heroes of our story and the story of our life around us. And that's, that's good, right? Well, as we're taught, you're either one or the other and you, you can't be both. I want us to look at a story in Scripture, a parable that Jesus lifts up. And what we've been looking at in this sermon series called Upside Down are the parables of Jesus that turn the world upside down. And the way Jesus told stories turned the world as they knew it upside down because it took concepts that they thought they knew and said, you've heard it said this way, but in God's kingdom, it's this way. And it challenged people's thinking as much then as it does today. So our scripture today explores that, and sharing the scripture with us this morning is the Gonzalez family, so let's take a listen. Hi, this is Laura with Manny, Patrick, Rosie, and Johnny somewhere in the background. We're glad to bring you today's scripture. Today's scripture is Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. The Pharisee and the Tax Collector. Jesus told this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous and who looked on everyone else with disgust. Two people went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself with these words. God, I thank you that I'm not like everyone else, crooks, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I receive. 
but the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to look toward heaven. Rather, he struck his chest and said, God, show mercy to me, a sinner. I tell you, this person went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. Well, thank you, every, thank you, Gonzalez family, for sharing the scripture with us today. It's uh, good to see you and to be with you in this way. Appreciate it. The, script, the parable that they share here with us today offers us two different people. Two different people, one who is righteous and we quickly see as the hero, and one who is detestable and we quickly see as the villain. And just when we think we know who is who, Jesus flips the world over and flips this story and these characters upside down, and perhaps the one we thought who was good is not, and the one who we would look down on is the one that God lifts up. What I want us to see today as we look at this particular parable is that there is a more holistic way for us to live and a more practical way for us to honestly face the dark sides or the dark places in our own lives and to live a life that is more unified and holistic. And so in this particular scripture here, uh, we see a couple of things. And I want to start by just talking about the different characters in this passage that, that Jesus lifts up. And remember, these are parables or stories that Jesus shares. So maybe they were real, maybe they were examples, maybe they were things that he saw, but they're used to illustrate the point. Uh, so the first person that we see is the religious leader. You can see that here in the picture, the one who <laughs> looks like a religious leader, let's be honest. Uh, and the Pharisees were a sect of followers of God who lived strictly by the law of Moses. Now, they were, in all the stories, the perpetual good guys. They were the ones who were always cast in a positive light. And it's that idea that uh, the winners of history write history, right? And so because the Pharisees were the ones who were interpreting the Scripture, they were really good at casting themselves in the role of the hero. So when Jesus begins the story and he says, a Pharisee in everyone's subconscious, without even realizing what they're doing, they're saying, good guy, hero. As Jesus continues the story, he introduces the character of the tax collector. Bom, 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 right? Subconsciously, when they heard tax collector, which is the person who's standing in the background here, because that's exactly where they would like a tax collector to be. Their subconscious mind was saying, villain, this is the bad guy. The tax collector was always the bad guy. And the reason why would have made sense to you and I too. I mean, we don't get excited about tax collectors today, right? So the tax collector was someone who was the obvious villain, and the reason is because they were a sellout. These tax collectors were people who were a part of the Jewish nation, a part of the Jewish faith, a part of the family. But their job put them in league with Rome, and their job was on behalf of Rome to collect taxes from their own people. And they were known for doing this at exorbitant rates. So they wouldn't just collect what was owed. 
they made their money by collecting more. And so they were known as people who extorted others. And not just people who were different. or un- They were known as people who extorted their own fellow people. So whenever a tax collector was introduced in a story, whether Jesus was telling it or not, we knew at the beginning this was the Cruella, the Ursula, the villain, the scar of the story, right? The one we can't trust. And so if we're thinking about how is God at work, well, of course, God's working through the religious leader, right? God can't be working through this villain. Absolutely not. Because they were sellouts. If you notice, for example, uh, in verse 11, when Jesus tells this particular story, you can see how they were regarded. And Jesus plays into this a little bit to lift it up. Because the Pharisee says, God, I thank you that I'm not like everyone else. And then he goes through a list, right? Crooks, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector, right? So above the tax collector in the ranking, crooks, evildoers, adulterers, all the worst people you could think of in those days and times, right? So think today, every villain that we might name or list And below all of those, tax collectors, right? We know that this is the obvious bad person. And so just when we think that they are the lowest of the low, in fact, to call someone a tax collector, and perhaps there's kids watching at home, so we can't quite say it, but I think you know where I'm going. That would have been a word that was not used, right, in polite society. That was almost a swear word. To call someone a tax collector. Mm. And so Jesus begins to turn things upside down because as these two go to the temple to pray, Jesus lifts up the one that we are not expecting and makes an example for the good and the hero out of the tax collector, the one in the back, and says, this one in the front, this religious leader, the one we always think is the hero, that's the villain in this story. And perhaps we could just kind of close the book here and say, well, Jesus takes the hero and says that their actions, which are oftentimes despicable, that the hero is the villain and the villain is the hero, and it flips the order around and we can walk away from this story saying, well, we ought to be less like the Pharisee who was prideful and arrogant, and we ought to be more like the tax collector who was humble and repentant and knew they had done wrong. End of story, end of sermon, cue the next thing in the slides, and we can move on, right? Well, is the story that simple? I don't think so. See, as I read that this week, I think that there's a deeper meaning to this story, and I think it speaks deeper than just us making this binary choice between who is good and who is evil. And so I want us to dig into that as we look at it, because there is a significant plot twist in this story. The one who goes home justified is the villain. The one who goes home presumably unjustified is the good guy. This is a good reminder to me that when we read the Bible, we ought to be careful about easy reading because we can very quickly let ourselves off the hook here and say, 
we should be more good and less bad. And those people are bad and these people are good. And more often than not, the people who get placed in the good category are ourselves, right? So what I want us to do this morning is to move beyond the good-bad binary choice, the hero-villain binary choice, which makes for great movies, but it's a little bit more gray in real life. Now, if you recognize this concept or this idea, perhaps you've been in our book study as we've been reading together, uh, White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo. And one of her chapters is where I got this idea from of the good-bad binary. This is uh, her idea from that particular chapter. And the point that uh, D'Angelo lifts up in this point is that it is easy for us as humans to place people in one of two categories, good or bad, hero or villain. And by doing that, what happens is we begin to see ourselves as good primarily and others as bad. Now, in her perspective, she's talking about this from perspectives of race relations and how we begin to categorize people in these categories. For example, she says that only bad people are racists. We would agree with that. We would say that, for example, someone who is ignorant or prejudiced or mean-spirited would be someone who is seen as bad. We can easily say that someone who is bad are the individuals who the white nationalists that showed up in Charleston, Virginia, right? And that makes it easy because we can say they are bad, they are wrong, they are racist. And what happens is we've cast ourselves as good by saying we are the ones who are educated and and open-minded and well-intentioned. And by making such clear-cut choices, it really says that we're not doing anything wrong. And you might be saying, well, hold on, hold hold on a second. I'm not like those people, right? I'm good, and they're the ones who are doing bad. And I think if we read it at a surface level like that, we're really missing the deeper work. And as followers of Jesus, we're missing the deeper work that Jesus came to do within our lives and within the systems of this world. Because what happens in this false dichotomy is, as the book says, that we don't realize that all people hold prejudices, especially across racial lines in a society that's deeply divided by race. And if you're not sure if you can get on board with that quite yet, let's just at least come back to the story that Jesus shares. Because what we see here is that the Pharisee lives into this good and bad binary choice. The Pharisee says, I am good. The tax collector is bad. And what the Pharisee does by making this distinction and by lifting up this distinction is by further perpetuating a divide in their society that says these are in and those are out. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, what happens is that Jesus begins embracing those that everyone had cast out and said were bad. It starts messing with people's heads. And Jesus begins to show that the exclusion and the divisions that this Pharisee perpetuates are what begins to cause most of the societal issues of those days and times. So what we see here is that the Pharisee stereotypes and prejudices this other person. And his rhetoric as a 
prominent member of the community says that the, basically, or sorry, models a divisive, toxic method and model for the community that this Pharisee serves. So the Pharisee's actions only further to divide the community between us and them, good and bad, heroes and villains, in the kingdom, out of the kingdom. Those God loves, those God doesn't love. And so the tax collector, on the other hand, positions himself differently. He owns his actions. He recognizes that he is living a life that is contrary to what God desires, that extorts his fellow human beings. And so he seeks a change in his life and his heart. And he is almost unaware of how his actions of repentance and change and recognizing the the bad and the good within him become a catalyst for those around him. I mean, who would you be more inspired to be like? A religious leader who shows up and says, I've got it all together, follow me, listen to me, don't be like them. That's when us as religious leaders come off as prideful and arrogant. Or would you be more inclined to follow someone who says, I've made some mistakes in life. In fact, I'm not even sure I've got it right right now. I think there's things that I'm doing that are not right, but I've been seeking God and I've been praying and I've been asking God to change my heart and my life and I'm trying to live different. John Wesley once said that, that people will come for miles around to see a person whose heart is on fire. And I think we are most moved by stories of people who recognize when they get it wrong and want to do something different. We don't expect them to be perfect, but we're moved by a heart that's moving and changing. And so I think we would relate and be inspired by the tax collector, the detestable person in the story. But I want us to be careful at this point I still want us to be careful because it's possible that we could just simply flip the choice around and lift up a new hero, and by doing that, simply make a new villain out of the Pharisee and perpetuate this good and bad choice. And we can see this every day in our daily life when we play the comparison game. I mean, we see it on social media when we compare our lives to others and we see others as good and Others is bad, and we make these divisions and these distinctions. So instead, what I'd like to offer this morning is, instead of good or bad, think of it this way, good and bad. We are heroes and villains. I am a hero and a villain in my own story, in the story of the lives around me. I am good, and I am also bad. And I don't want to come across as judging you, but if we can live in such a way where we say it's not a decision of or, but a recognition of the and, then all of a sudden we've positioned ourselves for God to work in our lives in a powerful way, a way that not only reshapes our story, but begins to reshape the story of the world around us. Because this tax collector, he can see the divide within himself. In that moment, he recognizes that he is a cheat, a thief, a sellout, and and a person who is deeply 
committed to a spiritual experience with God. These seem counterintuitive, but they can exist within the same time and space. A deep recognition of our own brokenness and the own division that we see within ourselves. Now, the comparison game is when we get tempted to say and to pray, man, God, I thank you that I am not like that person. (laughs) I am doing so good because I'm serving and I'm faithful, and I don't think many of us actually pray this way. All that takes place back in our subconscious, in spaces where we are almost unaware that it's happening, but it shapes our choices where we say, at least I'm not like them. At least I've got this stuff going for me, right? The key is to be honest with ourselves. We have been like the Pharisee, prideful and arrogant, and we have been like the tax collector. We have been like the Pharisee and sought God with our heart, and we have been like the tax collector and sold out and cheated and done wrong. How are we both heroes and villains How are we both, at the same time, fully committed disciples of Jesus and people who still sin and cheat and say and live in problematic ways? In the book of Romans, Paul affirms this idea of this good and bad within. When Paul says, I don't know what I'm doing because I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do the thing that I hate. You see the the and division in there? He goes on to say in Romans 7.20, but if I do the very thing that I don't want to do, then I'm not the one doing it anymore. Instead, the sin that lives in me is doing it. So I find that as a rule, when I want to do what is good, evil is right there with me. I gladly agree with the law on the inside, saying he gladly agrees with what is right. But I see a different law at work within my body. It wages a war against the law of my mind and takes me prisoner with the law of sin that's in my body. And this, this plea at the end here, I'm a, I'm a miserable human being. Who will deliver me from this dead corpse? And this is the good news right here. Thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I'm a slave to God's law in my mind, but I'm a slave to sin's law in my body. And what Paul is saying here is that he feels this division, and he's not good or bad. He is both good and bad. And he feels this war raging inside between what God wants to do in him and what he still wants to do within himself, that sinful desire. And if we can recognize that these things go together, then we recognize that we can't do this on our own. And when we try and do it on our own, we get prideful and arrogant. But when we surrender and say, God, I can't do it on my own. I need your help. Well, then the Spirit of God is able to rush into that vacuum and meet us in that place. And this is why we need things like confessing our sins to God. Because it says, Lord, I know that I've done wrong. I know that I'm broken. I know that that these discrepancies exist within me. And the power of God resides within each one of us through the Holy Spirit to forgive us and reconcile us to God and put us back on that path of following Jesus. So I hope what you can see is not 
that we are either A, good, or B, bad, that we're either a Pharisee or a tax collector, but that we are both, and that we live in this space in between, and that Jesus is here to help us. So I want to offer you this final thought uh, in a practical way to live into this tension and to allow the Spirit of God to work in us is by the prayer of examine from St. Saint Ignatius of Loyola. Now, the prayer of examine can offer us a couple of ways at the end of the day to think through our day. These are some questions, but basically what it does is it allows us to pause our day, to take a few minutes in reflective prayer, and to ask these questions of ourselves. And maybe at the end of these four bullet points, just snap a photo of the screen. God, at what points during the day, that should say during, not doing, at what points during the day did I feel better than someone else? How did that affect the way that I treated them? At what points, wow, at what points did I sense a deep need for God's grace? And did I turn to God to seek the grace that I needed? Now, despite my grammatical errors that I only saw in this moment, which only highlights both the good and the bad in my own grammar, these questions give us a way of reflecting to say, God, where did I get it wrong? How did that shape my reactions? Where were you showing up with grace? And did I take advantage of that? And how can I do it better tomorrow? And in those moments, we will find that it's the voice of Jesus and the presence of God with us that helps us to pick up and to try again the next day and to live each day with new grace. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.